This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, as often happens, we have two rather lengthy programs tonight, so let's get started by enjoying an episode of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. This one first aired in 1945. Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, present The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Well, folks, let's look in on the Nelson household at 1847 Rogers Road. It's late morning, but Ozzie and Harriet haven't even eaten breakfast yet. They were up quite late last night, and as we join them in the living room, they're discussing the events of the night before. Gee, that was a wonderful party last night, wasn't it, Harriet? Yeah, it certainly was. And it's amazing what happens to you after one glass of beer. (laughs) Now, just what is that supposed to mean? You trying to imply that one glass of beer made me, shall we say, a little hazy? We shall say it. It's ridiculous. After the party, I drove us home all right, didn't I? See what I mean? We're the ones that gave the party. I was just going along with the gag, Smarty. It's a very lovely party, and you know it. Have you called the insurance company yet? really check to see if there's any damage. See, we certainly had a lot of interesting people here last night, didn't we? Yeah, I wonder who they were. (laughs) A lot of them were complete strangers to me. Of course, I was busy most of the evening being the perfect host. Oh, yeah, you were the perfect host. Well, now, why do you say it that way? I thought I was very attentive and very charming. I hope you noticed that I admired each and every woman's dress as she walked into the room. You admired every woman's dress, all right. In fact, you mortified that one woman completely. Well, how should I know she wasn't wearing a bustle? (laughs) Oh, say, and speaking of being a perfect host, how about the time you helped serve the sandwiches? I thought I served the sandwiches very well. Well, honey, there are certain things that guests take for granted. You didn't have to keep saying, they're free, they're free. (laughs) Uh, Don't be silly. Everybody knew I was only kidding. Oh, and by the way, dear, if we ever give another party, let's not invite that Charlie, huh? Charlie who? You know that Charlie, whatchamacallit. Oh, him. I thought you liked him. Oh, I guess he's all right, but he's such a ham. Always trying to hog the spotlight and be the life of the party. 
I didn't notice. When was that? When? Why, every time I began my impersonation of Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> you know, the one where I put the cigar in my mouth and I say, Oh, so you guys are Okay, dear, okay. I've heard it so many, many times. And another thing, how Charlie can tell those corny old jokes. Oh, Gosh. hey, did you notice how all the women left the room every time somebody started telling a risque joke? Yes, that always annoys me. Why can't they let the men hear it, too? <laughs> party, though. I really had a wonderful evening. Wasn't it fun dancing for a change? Yeah, it sure was. Hey, how about that big fat friend of yours doing the Roomba? Yeah, she was quite a sight. I'll say every time she danced around the room once, she rearranged the furniture twice. (laughs) I wonder if Gloria has breakfast ready yet. I'm absolutely starved. Starved? (laughs) Well, not exactly, but you know how us women like to exaggerate a little. Oh, yes, which brings up a little matter I've been wanting to talk to you about. What's that, dear? That exaggeration of yours at the party last night, the one that involved me. Well, I was. I've been wondering when you're going to bring that up. Why did you announce to everybody that I could do 50 push-ups? <laughs> well, I'm proud of you, dear. Were you proud of me when I could only do seven and nearly burst a blood vessel? <laughs> You certainly let me down. That's just the point I'm trying to make. I didn't let you down. You just built me up too high. Well, how would it have sounded if I'd said, my husband can do five push-ups? That'd be pretty small potatoes. So I simply said 50. You noticed that everybody was very much impressed. Yeah, until I couldn't get up after the seventh one. (laughs) You must exaggerate, dear. I wish you'd leave me out of it. Oh, here's David. Good morning, son. Morning, Pop. Morning, Mom. Good morning, David. When are we going to have breakfast, Mom? Well, maybe I'd better go out in the kitchen and see how Gloria's coming along. Party kept her sort of busy last night, and she cleaned up afterwards. I'll be back in a minute. How was the party last night, Pop? Oh, it was a lot of fun, except for one embarrassing situation your mother got me in. What happened, Pop? Well, your mother insisted on bragging about me, and she just let herself go. Of course, she's a very lovely and wonderful woman, and I wouldn't criticize her for the world. But, oh, brother, how that gal can exaggerate things. I know, Pop. When she tells other kids' mothers about my grade, she always adds five points on every subject. I'd like to hear what she'd tell them if you made a hundred and something. Don't worry about it, Pop. There's not a chance. (laughs) Oh, I'm not, David. Well, nobody's perfect, you know. Where'd you pick that line up? From you. Oh. (laughs) When you get older, son, you'll find out that women are the biggest problem in a man's life. They're so stubborn and obstinate. Yet, at the same time, they're so changeable and confusing. It's impossible for you to figure them out. Well, gee whiz, Dad, why do men marry them? Well, I'll take that up in a different talk. <laughs> right now, it's your mother's exaggerating I'm going to work on. How, Pop? Well, I don't know just yet. Say, David, I got it. Why didn't I think of this before? This is wonderful. What is it, Pop? It's the old psychology. You see, all I have to do is start exaggerating things much worse than she ever dreamed of. When she sees how silly that sounds, she'll quit exaggerating things herself. Do you understand? Sure. Oh, boy, that sounds good. Now, David, don't be surprised at anything I say at breakfast. I may say some very strange things, but I think this will cure your mother. Okay, Pop. Can I help you? Well, thanks, David, but I can handle it myself. 
When I really make up my mind to change something about your mother, you know what happens. I sure do, Pop. But you might as well try anyway. <laughs> How's breakfast, dear? Oh, just fine. That's good. Gee, I'm starved. I haven't had anything to eat for two weeks. What did you say, Pop? I said I haven't had anything to eat for two weeks. Neither have I. <laughs> What's the matter, dear? Uh, nothing. Uh, listen to this, David. Oh, Harriet, did I ever tell you about that fellow in my lodge? What about him? Well, do you know what he had for breakfast every morning? A hundred and thirty-five eggs. Sunny side up. Harriet, when I say that a fellow eats a hundred and thirty-five eggs every morning, isn't there a certain bet you'd like to make with me? Of course. I'll bet you he likes eggs. Well, and there's something else I forgot to mention. This fellow that eats the hundred and thirty-five eggs for breakfast, he also finishes off fifty quarts of milk, ten loaves of bread, and six dozen wheat cakes. And a pickle. <laughs> Another slice of bread, dear? Uh, thank you. Uh, by the way, Harriet, I saw the strangest thing in the paper this morning. It's all about a boy with two heads. Oh, is that so? Another boy with two heads. <laughs> there have been several cases like that lately. Well, this one is very unusual because one of his heads is smarter than the other... And this boy is in 4B and 4A at the same time. That's right. Half of them is in my class. A little more milk, dear? No, thanks. I don't feel like eating anymore. I wonder what happened to Gloria. Well, I don't know, dear, but if you finish breakfast, I'll call her. Oh, Gloria! Gloria! Did you call me Mrs. Nelson? <laughs> Yes, Gloria, I did. We finished breakfast. I imagine you must be pretty tired after the party last night, huh? Oh, I don't mind. Just that one couple did keep me awake, though. Oh, who was that? Well, uh, after everybody else went home, there was one silly couple out on the porch, and they were mooning and cooing and, and talking mushy talk, and I just couldn't fall asleep. But, Gloria, you can't hear anything on the porch from your room. You can if you lean out the window. <laughs> Was there much food left over, Gloria? Well, uh, let me see. Um, there were 21 sandwiches. Oh, 21 sandwiches left over. Yeah. And did you put them away? Well, I put away 11, but I couldn't eat them. <laughs> Well, thanks to you, Gloria, everything at the party went smoothly, with the possible exception of those cocktails you mixed. Boy, they were really something. Oh, that's a wonderful drink, Mr. Nelson. I invented it myself. I call it the air pressure cocktail. The air pressure cocktail? One drink and you blow your top. <laughs> So that's what it was. My boyfriend, Elmer, really knows how to make strong drinks. He once mixed a drink, and all he took was one sip, 
and he ran up to the wall and drew a great big picture of an automobile on it. Oh, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> and then I took a sip, jumped in, and drove home. <laughs> take this pile of dishes away. Oh, before I go, I knew there was something I wanted to tell you. You know that drain in the sink that we've had so much trouble with? Yes. Well, there was something left in some of the glasses, and I poured them into the sink. It's not clogged up anymore. (laughs) I'll see you later. Harriet, did you hear that story Gloria told about the drink and the automobile? Yes, I thought it was very funny. You didn't think it was an exaggeration? Well, what do you mean, Ozzy? I simply mean that you've become so accustomed to exaggerations, dear, that you don't even notice them anymore. Now, take that fantastic story I told you before about a guy eating 135 eggs, 10 loaves of bread, 6 dozen wheat cakes, and 50 quarts of milk in one meal. It didn't even surprise you. Well, why should it surprise me? I've had your relatives over for dinner. (laughs) Your Uncle Peter could eat that guy under the table and then eat the table right off of him. The last time your Uncle Peter had dinner here, you could reconstruct the skeleton of a cow from the bones in his plate. Harriet, it so happens that my Uncle Peter hasn't even got any teeth. Then I got news for you. He gummed us out of 40 red points. I'm merely trying to show you how foolish it is to exaggerate things. I know you don't mean any harm, but it's little things, like the price of a dress, the age of a piece of antique furniture. Oh, my goodness. What's the matter, dear? Gee, I almost forgot the antique man's coming this morning. Antique man? Harriet, you're not going to do the living room over again, are you? Well... But, Harriet, I had a hard time wearing those chairs down so they'd fit me. Why, it would be like selling a part of me. A very important part to me. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure I'm going to do it, honey. And even if I do, I'll be haggling for at least a month with the antique dealers. Maybe I change my mind. Excuse me, will you, dear? But, Harriet, I haven't finished. Oh, you don't mind eating alone, do you? I mean about the exaggerating. Oh, that. I promise never to do it again as long as I live. There's an exaggeration right there. I'm going to cure her of that exaggerating if it's the last thing I do. And there's a distinct possibility it'll be the last thing I do. (laughs) And here are our lovely singing stars, the four famous King sisters. I don't care who knows Nothing you do or say 
problem on his hands trying to figure out a way to cure Harriet of her tendency to exaggerate things. Right now, he's out on the front lawn thinking things over and hunting for devil grass when the Bobby Sox department from next door calls to him. Hello, Mr. Nelson. Oh, hello there, Emmy Lou. How are you doing with that devil grass? Oh, pretty good. I wish that was my only problem. Oh, something serious? Well, no, not really, but it's something that might eventually prove embarrassing. Could I be of any help? I've got $9 saved up out of my allowance. Oh, well, thanks very much, but that's not what I meant this time. You see, I've been trying to prove something to Mrs. Nelson. <laughs> so far, I've been completely unsuccessful. What's it about? It's this business of exaggeration, Emmy Lou. Why do women exaggerate anyway? Women don't exaggerate, Mr. Nelson. They don't. No. It's just that after they get done telling the truth, they keep on talking. <laughs> yes, that does sound pretty reasonable, but I still don't understand it. Well, I'll try to explain it to you, Mr. Nelson. Suppose I'm introduced to some boy and he's really an absolute goon. Do you imagine for one moment that I'm going to tell my girlfriends that I met a goon? Of course not. I tell him that I met the most divine man, an utterly handsome, simply super dreamboat. Oh, and then they think he's quite a guy, huh? Oh, no. Then they know he's a gooner. I wouldn't have said all that. Emmy <laughs> Lou, you're going to make some man a fine wife. You're confusing already. <laughs> Let's get back to my problem. How am I going to stop Mrs. Nelson from exaggerating? Well, let me see now. Oh, I have an idea. You could... No, that wouldn't work. See, how does this sound to you? You could... No, that wouldn't work. Say, maybe I could... No, that wouldn't work either. <laughs> it really is a problem, Mr. Nelson. Maybe I was on the right track before when I was exaggerating things to show her how silly it sounded. That sounds like a good idea. I know, but it didn't work. Maybe I wasn't exaggerating the right things. Maybe I should get something she cares more about. Who's that man going into your house? Oh, it's probably the antique dealer. Are you getting new furniture? Well, Mrs. Nelson thinks so. Wouldn't be new anyway. It'd just be different old furniture. She's going to sell a few things to him, I think. Oh. As I was saying, if there were only... Hey, wait a minute. That's it. Antiques. Now, that's something that Harriet's crazy about. What are you going to do, Mr. Nelson? Boy, have I got an idea. When he tries to buy a piece of furniture, I'll put a figure on it that's so ridiculous he won't buy anything. 
That'll show Harriet where exaggeration can get you. That's a wonderful idea, Mr. Nelson. Go ahead. No, 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 not yet. First, I'll wait till he's in the house and looking over something he seems to like. And I'll come in with the surprises. By the time I get through, George Washington will have slept on every antique we have in the house, including the chandelier. <laughs> Mrs. Nelson? Yes. Are you Mr. Johnson from the antique shop? Oh, no, no. My name is Clark. I'm from the county tax assessor's office. <laughs> Just dropped in to get an estimate on your furniture so we can figure out your tax. Won't hurt at all. This year we're using Novocaine. <laughs> you certainly seem happy at your work. Oh, I've been at it a long time. Know it like a book. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> when I start assessing, I ain't just a guessing. <laughs> got to be done. It's got to be done. Here's the living room. Go ahead and assess. Okay. I'll start with this table here. Well, it's very nice. Looks moderately priced. I'd say uh, $50. That's about right. Oh, hello, dear. Oh, hello, Harriet. Ozzie, this is Mr. Clark. How do you do? I was just looking this table over, Mr. Nelson. Your wife and I figure it's worth about uh, $50. $50? Are you kidding this table is worth $5,750. Ozzy! Is this on the level? Absolutely. Well, take your word for it. But, uh, <laughs> it just looks like an ordinary table to me. As a matter of fact, it was originally a footstool used by an old Scottish knight, eight feet tall. <laughs> of course, the knights were longer in those days. <laughs> Dear, uh, Mr. Clark and is And I from suppose the... you think this piano here is an ordinary piano? Well, it looks like a regular piano. Well, sir, this is one of the most valuable antiques in all America. This happens to be the very piano that the finance company took back from Franz Schubert. <laughs> Amazing. Are you sure of that? Well, why do you think he never finished the unfinished symphony? <laughs> Say, I was wondering why he hadn't written anything lately. <laughs> Ozzie, why don't you let Mr. Clark judge these things himself? My wife is very modest about it, but practically everything in this room is a rare treasure. Oh, brother. Hey, I'd, uh, I'd better mark some of these things down. Uh, do you have a pencil? Well, here, you can borrow my pen. Thanks. Now, uh, what would you say that piano and bench were worth, Mr. Nelson? Oh, really, Mr. Clark, Well, I that's don't... hard to say. Let me see. I tell you what, just put down any large figure. You won't be more than a few hundred thousand off. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you insist, I'll just... Oop. <laughs> say, one thing I know ain't a rare antique is this pen you just handed me. <laughs> Look, I got ink all over my hands. <laughs> and besides, it's got the initial N on it for Nelson. Mr. Clark. N also stands for Napoleon, you know. It just so happens that was Napoleon's favorite pen. You mean he got ink on his fingers, too? <laughs> Why do you think he kept his hand inside his coat all the time? <laughs> my, my, my. 
Say, uh, Mrs. Nelson, you know, you haven't entered the conversation. I'm a little sorry I entered the room. <laughs> She's very modest about all this. Well, things, you know. so much for the antiques. Now let's get down to the everyday stuff. Like, uh, well, this floor lamp here. Oh, well, that's just Mr. A little... Clark, you have just succeeded not only in picking out one of the most valuable possessions in the house, you have picked out the most valuable. This floor lamp? That's right. This floor lamp, as you so casually put it, was once used by Julius Caesar. Ju oh, now wait a minute. <laughs> Electricity wasn't even discovered then. Now do you see why it's so valuable? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Well, now tell me, Mr. Nelson, uh, about what would you say the contents of the house are worth? Uh, conservative. Oh, I'd say uh, conservatively. Uh -huh. uh, $450,000. I give up. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Nelson. You've been most cooperative. It's been a pleasure, I'm sure, Mr. Clark. Uh, Mr. Nelson, before I go, may I say just one thing? Go right ahead. Ha ha ha! Silly sort of a fellow, isn't he? But a nice chap. Ozzy Nelson, will you please explain those ridiculous stories you were telling that man? The way you were exaggerating. Oh, was I exaggerating? Well, you know you were, and it was very embarrassing to me. Ah, now you begin to understand how embarrassing it is to me when you exaggerate. Darling, I hate to take that big, happy smile off your face, but do you know who that nice man was? Well, certainly, the antique man. No, dear. That was the assessor for our personal property tax, and this year it's going to be a honey. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Go on, tell me. I deserve it. Tell me what you think of me. I'm a dope. I'm a moron. Isn't that what you want to tell me? Of course not, darling. You meant well. I think you're the smartest, the sweetest, the cleverest, the handsomest, the most wonderful husband in the whole wide world. Well, at least I got you out of the habit of exaggerating. <laughs> Back to Ozzie and Harriet. What's that paper you've got there, dear? It's a copy of our tax report. We owe exactly uh, $152,740. And by the way, dear, from now on you'd better wipe your shoes before you come into the house. Our living room alone is worth half a million. Golly. Well, I'd better get down to the tailor shop tonight. The tailor shop? What for? Well, from there you can dig the shortest tunnel under the bank on the corner. <laughs> Well, I guess you've suffered long enough, honey. Get that prison pallor out of your face. Our tax bill's very small because Mr. Clark got the correct figures and it's all straightened out. Well, Harriet, that's wonderful, marvelous. How did it happen? Well, all the time you were telling Mr. Clark those ridiculous things about our furniture... Yeah? I was standing behind you making certain widely used motions with my finger and forehead to indicate that your mental development had been arrested rather prematurely. <laughs> And then later, I phoned him to make sure. Well, that's swell, I guess, but, well, just what did you tell him? Well, you understand, dear, we were in a tough spot. Yes, yes, I know. What did you tell him? Uh, in an emergency like this, you have to think fast, you know. I had to say something. Harriet, what did you tell the man? I told him you had a brain the size of a peanut. <laughs> there you go exaggerating again. <laughs> 
National Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, invite you to listen again next Sunday to the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet with songs by the King Sisters and music by Ozzie Nelson's orchestra. And don't forget, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. You're right, Harriet. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the Columbia Broadcasting System and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This adventure of Ozzie and Harriet will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were B. Benaderet, John Brown, Joel Davis, Louise Erickson. Original music was composed by Billy May. This is Vern Smith speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for the Martin and Lewis Show. It's the Martin and Lewis Show. The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, the Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest tonight, George Jessel, featuring Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. We're writing songs of love, but not for me. And Jerry Lewis. They're writing songs of love, but not for me. Ooh, ba ba da ba da ha Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard my partner Jerry Lewis singing. Your ears are not out of order. <laughs> Oh, you're so smart, Dean Martin. I could have had a great voice. I should have stuck with my singing when I was a kid. Why? You're stuck enough with it now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jerry, pardon me for butting in. Yeah, what is it, Ben? One of these days, you'll be great in television. I'm glad you think so, Ben, because I just auditioned and act for television. Say, that's wonderful. Jerry, tell Ben the truth. Jerry. Tell him the truth? You tell him the truth. Go on, testify. (laughs) <laughs> you mean Jerry didn't audition an act for television? Well, not quite. When we took our clothes down to the laundromat, Jerry locked himself in a Bendix washer and did Milton Burl imitations through the window. Dean Martin, that is a fib, a story, and also completely untrue. Well, that's a shame. I thought it sounded like a great idea. You did? Sure. <laughs> For an encore, I blew soapy bubbles out of my ears. Oh, Jerry. The act wasn't funny, but it sure was clean. Jerry, why don't you stop? You should have seen the review I got in Variety. It said, Jerry Lewis, no soap. Jerry! What you all the time yelling at me like a big shot for? What you all the time yelling at me like a big shot for? That's as bad as throw the horse over the fence some hay. (laughs) Don't get smart with me, Dean Martin. You only made one picture, too. Say, fellas, what's this I read in the papers about you making your next picture at 20th Century Fox? Well, we're not so sure about it. Not after what happened to us. 
After what happened to you? What was that? Well, one morning we walked into that Hollywood nightclub of ours. There was a sweet little old lady waiting for us. Good morning. Are you Mr. Martin and Mr. Lewis? Yes, we are. Well, my name is Pruella Quid. I'm looking for a job as a cigarette girl. A cigarette girl? Why should a sweet old lady like you want to be a cigarette girl? That's what I've always been. Just a cigarette girl waiting for a man who knows tobacco best. <laughs> well, I, I don't understand, Miss Quid. Uh, why did you choose to be a cigarette girl all your life? I couldn't help it. You see, before I was born, my mother was frightened by F.E. Boone. <laughs> well, we're, we're awfully sorry, Miss Quid, but our cigarette girl will have to be very young and attractive. Oh, don't you worry about that. When I get my mascara on and my wrinkle putty, I'm cute as a bug. <laughs> well, Miss Quid, suppose we think it over. Where can we find you? Griffin Manor. I'm living with my mother and my older sister. You see, I'm the baby. <laughs> well, if we decide to hire you, we know where to get you now. Thanks and goodbye, Miss Quinn. Goodbye. You know, Dean, maybe we should consider her. She'd be different. Oh, now, Jerry, we've got more important things to think about. If we don't line up another picture, we're liable to slip right out of sight. Yeah. Why can't we be lucky like Boris Karloff? Look, it says here in the newspaper, three studios want him. Gee, Dean, if only one of us was ugly. <laughs> well, look at this story here. Rita Hayworth expecting. Can't you just see the doctor coming out to Ali Khan and saying... You are now the father of a bouncing baby boy. Weight, 52 carats. <laughs> oh, now, Jerry, I doubt that would happen. Hey, Dean, Dean, look what it says here in the newspaper. What, what? Daryl Zanuck looking for new young comedians. That's us, Dean. That's us. Now, now, now take it easy and don't, don't get excited. We got to act like, like we're not anxious at all. Uh, don't rush into anything and, and play very, very hard to get. Okay, we played long enough. <laughs> now, now, let's get out to the studio and oh, see him. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jerry. Calm down. We don't know Daryl Zanuck. We'd have an awful time trying to get in to see him. No, we wouldn't. He'll see Betty Grable anytime. I'll just make myself up to look like Betty Grable. <laughs> Jerry, how could you possibly make yourself look like Betty Grable? Oh, Dean, think of a way and we'll both be so happy. <laughs> now, now, let's just uh, think this thing out. Who would know Mr. Zanuck? Mrs. Zanuck? <laughs> Jerry, you're going to be sensible. You talk like a man with two heads. I talk like a man with two heads. Me, Jerry Lewis, two heads. Say, Jerry. Yes, Sam. Doing anything later? No. Then how about me using the body tonight? No, I might go out later. <laughs> Why can't I ever have the body? After all, I'm the older head. Well, we agreed that I'd have charge of the body this week. Now, don't bother me. <laughs> now, Lehigh is waiting. Oh, you I like to sing. That's another thing. I don't want to have your tunes running through my head anymore. <laughs> All right, Sam. You ask, which voice am I doing now? All right, Sam. You ask, you ask for it. This body isn't big enough for both of us. One of us has got to go. Jerry! No, Jerry, no. Let's be friends. We're in this thing together. Okay, Sam. We'll shake ears and make up. <laughs> hey, 
And you, Dean Martin, you have the nerve to say I talk like a man with two heads. Uh, this boy wasn't born. He was booby-hatched. <laughs> Listen, Jerry, there must be somebody who saw us in our picture, my friend Irma, and who knows Mr. Zanuck. I got it, Dean. George Jessel. He's the big picture producer. And we know him and he knows Zanuck. Come on, let's go see him. <laughs> Gee, this 20th Century Fox Studio is a big place, isn't it, Dean? Yeah, just keep walking. Hey, Jerry, look. Doesn't this guy coming this way look familiar? Razor blades, shoelaces, chewing gum, screen test. <laughs> Why, it's Sophie. Yeah, hello, fellas. Well, what are you doing in the studio, Sophie? Why, I am a talent scout. A talent scout? Yeah, yeah, a talent scout. You know, that's uh, almost like a boy scout, you see, uh... I uh, help old ladies across the street. That is, if they have movie possibilities. Well, have you discovered any talent, Soapy? <laughs> Get him. Have I discovered talent? Oh, why, I discovered June Haver, Hedy Lamar, Ava Gardner, Joan Crawford, Tilly Schultz. Who was Tilly Schultz? She was my only mistake. <laughs> Soapy, I don't believe you discovered anybody. In fact, I bet you don't know a single person at the studio. Oh, is that so? Eh? Hey, look, look. There comes Betty Grable. Oh, boy, it is. Introduce her, Soapy. Yeah, well, okay. All right. Uh, hello, Betty. <laughs> Hiya, Betty. <laughs> hello, Betty. <laughs> Guess Harry's trumpet has deafened her. Soap, if you're really in the picture business, tell me, how do we get to Zanuck? Wait, that's very simple. You talk to Sam Goldwyn. Who's Sam Goldwyn? One of the Warner Brothers. <laughs> anyway, Soapy, we're going to see George Jessel. He'll take us to Mr. Zanuck, I'm sure. Well, I got a better idea than that. Look, you see that open window in that building over there? Well, that is the office of Vladimir Gruskin. And he is Daryl Zanuck's right-hand man. Gee. Dean, you go stand under that window, you see, and you sing a song, and this Vladimir Gruskin, he will hear you, and then he will call you in. Go ahead. Try it, Dean. And if you run into any trouble, I'll come in on the second chorus. I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready around a half past eight. Oh, baby, don't believe I want to be there. When bands start shining, we just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps I'm gonna have at the mall. Dance both my shoes. I wanna see the jolly roll of blues. Come on tonight at the dark time, strutting ball. I'll be downtown to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready around a half past eight. Oh, baby. Don't play the one when the band starts, honey. Just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, I'm gonna have them on. Dance the both in the shoes.
Uh, will you shut the window, Jessel? I don't want to hear that street singer again. Yes, Mr. Greskin. Oh, Georgie, uh, tell me, what picture are you producing now? Well, Mr. Gruskin, I've just finished, as you know, my new musical, Oh, You Beautiful Doll, and next, well, I, if I have time... That's I'm... just it, when you have time. You're never on the lot. You're always flying somewhere around the country to make an after-dinner speech. George, I know you're a famous Toastmaster, but if a grocery store in Pomona opens, there's no reason it can't open without you making a speech. <laughs> I, I know that, and I'm very sorry, Mr. Gruskin. It's just that, well, people seem to enjoy a few words from me after dinner. I guess I sort of take the place of bicarbonate of soda. <laughs> Now, you must understand, George, Mr. Zanuck has nothing against your outside activities. But when they interfere with production... Mr. Greskin, don't worry about me. I'll work out something definitely. You'd better work out something, because if I don't find you in the studios more often, you'll be out for good. Very well, Mr. Greskin. I'll go back to my office, if it's still there. Oh, to think that this could happen to me. Me on the verge of being fired. Me, Georgie Jessel, Toastmaster General of the United States, actor, author, comedian, producer. I may be fired. Well, that's Hollywood. One day putting your footprints in cement, the next day you're back mixing it. <laughs> well, what am I going to do if I get fired? I've been an actor all my life. What am I going to do? Well, let me see. Uh-huh. Nah, I don't want to be governor. <laughs> oh, my goodness, what a fool I've been. I've forgotten my beautiful dulcet singing voice. Who would I have to compete against these days? Vaughn Monroe. <laughs> my cocker spaniel sings lower than him. <laughs> Mel Torme, the velvet fog. Sounds like he's humming with a bagel in his mouth. <laughs> Let me see, what could I do? Well, I might get booked into the big nightclubs with a fine orchestra and pretty girls. Wait a minute. Do I still like pretty girls? Yeah, I still do. <laughs> I better go into my office and figure this whole thing out and make some plans. Well, hello, Mr. Jessel. We've been waiting to see you. I'm Martin. The singer? Yes. Well, how are you, Tony? <laughs> You got it wrong. He's Dean Martin, and I'm Lewis. Well, I'm glad to meet you, Lewis. I saw you fight at Madison Square Garden. You were... Uh, no, that was Joe Lewis. Well, for my seats, it could have been anybody, believe me. Dean, I thought we knew this guy. Mr. Jessel, you remember us. You saw us at the club. Martin and Lewis. I'm Dean Martin. Oh, of course. I'm just kidding, Dean. How are you? Say, listen, you look sleek and slick. Thanks. And you remember Jerry. Yeah, he looks slack, doesn't he? <laughs> Gee, Mr. Jessel, I've been looking forward to this moment ever since I watched your vaudeville act from my grandmother's lap. Now, just a minute, young man. You couldn't have watched my vaudeville act from your grandmother's lap. Your grandmother must be 20 years older than your mother, and your mother must be 20 years older than you. So if you add that all up, how old would that make me? Why, tell me, is your grandmother like me? <laughs> Mr. Jessel, you will admit you're not exactly a child. Well, I didn't say that I was, but I'm not an old guy either. I don't know why people talk the way they do. When I came in tonight, boys, heard a fellow say, look, there's Jessel. Other fellow say, gee, he can still walk. Dean, did you hear that? Isn't he great? <laughs> he makes it up just like it's funny. Ah, uh, we're only kidding you, Georgie. I love you on the stage, honestly. No one could walk out and get the same reaction you could. Oh, now, please. Now, I please. mean it. You're wonderful. I'll never forget the hush that used to fall over the entire audience the minute you told a joke. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, don't love me so much. Hate me a little, will you, please? Now, let's all kidding aside. What brought you two boys to my office? Well, Mr. Jessel, the reason we came to see you is uh, we want to talk to Mr. Zanuck. Well, I don't know about that, boys. Mr. Zanuck is a very hard person to see. But I thought he was looking for comedians. Jerry, that's not the way. Let me try. Look, Mr. Jessel, we know Mr. Zanuck is hard to see, but we figured he'd listen to a man of your ability, your superior stage presence, your captivating voice, and your good looks. Why... When you first, when you first walk in here, I thought you were Gregory Peck. Isn't that funny? Everybody makes that same mistake. <laughs> oh, Dean, I'm so unworthy of you. Boys, I'd like to take you in to see Mrs. Annie, but there are many complications. Now, let me ask you this. Would there be room for me to sing in your nightclub? You? Oh, if you sang, would there be room? <laughs> You mean you'd like to take my place and work up there with Jerry? I don't know if you could stand a pace, old man. I am not afraid to get up there with you, young man, provided you have your hair cut. That is hair, isn't it? What is that? Certainly it's hair. It looks this way because I'm growing my own beret. (laughs) You shouldn't make fun of my head. Yesterday I went to a fortune teller who reads the bumps on people's heads, and he read mine. Now, what did he say? My head has the same plot as I was a male war bride. Boys, let's not beat around the jokes. Now, I tell you what I'll do. I'll get you in to see Mr. Zanuck if you let me sing in your club. But we've already got a singer. Dean. Yeah, but he imitates Crosby. Look at me. I imitate anybody. Well, we'll do almost anything to get in to see Mr. Zanuck. Well, don't make it sound so awful. Remember, I've had quite a reputation as a singer. They even made a motion picture about me. Jessel sings again. Wait, I thought that was Jolson sings again. The same thing. Listen. California, here I come Right back where I started from Open up that golden gate California, here I come Gee, isn't it nice? He's got an orchestra in his office Did you like that? Yeah, just shake it down We'll remove the shingles in the morning (laughs) Georgie, what will it help if you sing like Jolson? Well, I don't have to sing like Jolson It just happens that we took from the same tonsils, that's all As a matter of fact, I can be Eddie Cantor The main difference between us, he has daughters I had wives Listen to this If you knew Susie like I know Susie Oh, 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 what a girl I had a mustache as cute as a pup Susie kissed me And she went to dancing up And you knew Susie Like I know Susie Oh, oh, what a girl Well, Jerry, what do you think? Shall we let him sing in the club? What do we need him for? I can do gesso Listen to this one bright and guiding light that got me wrong from right. I found in my mother. Oh, 
better. Now, here's what we'll do. I'll tell Mr. Zanuck that I want you boys for a picture. My new picture, Moon Over the Catskills. I'll tell Zanuck, Zanuck, this will be a bigger hit than Oh, You Beautiful Doll on my next picture, Dancing in the Dark. Gee, then it looks like I'll finally get a chance to sing for Mr. Zanuck. Yeah, that'll be wonderful. But maybe you better run over a number now, Dean. Do just for fun the number from our How Wallace picture, My Friend Irma. We'll do it, Jerry. We'll do it. Love me, love me, say you love me, just for fun. Softly sigh it, try it, try it, just for fun. If you're close to me, Maybe you'll agree Here at hand That magic land We're seeking constantly Tingle, tingle When we mingle Just for fun Let's pretend we'll never end what we've begun. For if we play at love, we may stay in love. Then you'll be glad you tried it just for Because he's Zanuck's right-hand man. Come on. Here we go. Right down this hallway. Gosh, this is a wide hallway. Yes, the widest hallway I've ever seen. Well, you see, wide hallways are part of our plan here at 20th Century Fox. It gives the stenographers a sporting chance. (laughs) When they walk by the producers, you know. You mean the producers chase the stenographers? He's young, isn't he? (laughs) Uh, Mr. Jessel, are you sure Mr. Gruskin will see us? Of course. Now, come on, fellas, and step lively. Hey, looky. Look who's coming down the hallway. Oh, yeah. Get a load of them high heels. Hiya, hop along. (laughs) Howdy, boy. I love those cowboy boots. Oh, be quiet. Now, listen. Boys, here we are. Remove your hats. We are standing in front of the office of Mr. Valadir Gruskin. Say, Mr. Jessel, this seems pretty easy. Can anyone just go into Mr. Gruskin's office? I should say not. Mr. Gruskin is one of the world's most carefully guarded executives. He is, huh? Now, come on. I'll open his office door. (laughs) Run for your lives. It's mighty Joe Young. 
Mr. Gruskin, may I present Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, gentlemen, Mr. Vladimir Gruskin. Georgie, I told you before not to bring bookies into my office. <laughs> bookies? Mr. Gruskin, we are actors. Actors? <laughs> sure, ain't we, Dean? <laughs> well, of course. How now, brown cow? <laughs> Now, look here, Georgie. I'm a very busy man, and look, I can't... Look, look, You've got to give these boys a chance, Mr. Gruskin. They're really great actors. They can do anything. From Barry Fitzgerald to Clark Gable. These boys are... I got to agree with you, Damien boy. Another time that I'm going to see you, but I don't know now. Hello, baby. <laughs> now, just a minute, boys, and give me... Even though I'm never going to see you, but I don't know now. Hello, baby. <laughs> don't overdo this <laughs> thing. Goodbye, baby. Oh, shut up! <laughs> My job is at stake. You gotta just give Georgie, me. Georgie, I'm a very busy man. If these boys have any acting ability at all, please have them do a scene for me. A scene? Mr. Gruskin, these gentlemen have a whole screenplay they're gonna do for you. They have a movie all planned out. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Now go ahead, fellas. This is your big chance. Okay, here we go. Now just imagine this, Mr. Gruskin. <laughs> We're inside a movie theater. One of the biggest movie theaters in the whole world. The lights go dim. The title of the pictures flashed on the screen. 20th Century Fox presents that great picture that all the world has been waiting for. Bulldog Drummond bites Lassie. <laughs> the greatest picture ever made. It's colossal. It's terrific. It's a re-release. <laughs> but it's the greatest picture that was ever made. Just look at the cast. Martin and Lewis, Gary Cooper, Martin and Lewis, Ingrid Bergman, Martin and Lewis, Ronald Coleman, Martin and Lewis, Joan Crawford, Martin and Lewis, James Mason, Martin and Lewis, Claudia Colbert, yeah, Martin and Lewis, yeah, uh, wait a minute. George Raff, Martin and Lewis, Reddy Young, Martin and Lewis, Angie Tracy, Martin and Lewis, Jennifer Jones, Martin and Lewis. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the matter? Don't you like Jennifer Jones? <laughs> Here, I'm a busy man. Now, just a minute. Boss, this is a great street. Now, let the boys tell it to you. Believe me, this is what the studio needs. Go ahead, boys. It is? Very well, then. Continue, gentlemen. Thanks, boss. Now, the picture begins. What a story. What a story. Picture, if you will, a small, dirty room in a broken-down tenement house. A young girl is sitting in a broken-down chair next to a broken-down table. She is holding a broken-down baby. (laughs) And now... Now comes the real dramatic part of the story. Yes. This is a tragedy that happens every day. It's the story of a young girl with an unmarried baby. (laughs) Now, look here, George. This joke has gone far enough. Take these bookies out of here. (laughs) They can do something else besides not acting. Yeah, we're singing. He finally got a funny line. Let him keep it. Johnny Newcomer. (laughs) 
But I don't want to hear any singers. But we're good singers. I don't want to hear any singers. But, boss, the boys and I have whipped up a little arrangement to start. I don't want to hear any arrangements. I hate singers. But this song is Oh, You Beautiful Doll, a song from the picture, my picture, Oh, You Beautiful Doll, a 20th Century Fox production. Well, what are we waiting for? I love <laughs> Oh, you beautiful doll. Great, big, beautiful. I ran my fingers through her hair. Oh, how I wish that she was there. Left <laughs> minds about you. I could never live without you. Oh, you beautiful doll. You're great, big, beautiful. When I see a girl like you, who but I always make a boo-boo. <laughs> how my heart will ache. I want to hug you, but I fear you'd break. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, you beautiful doll. Oh, you beautiful doll. You great big beautiful doll. Let me put my arms about you. I could never live without you. Oh, you beautiful doll. You great big beautiful doll. Thank you, George, for coming on our show. Can we make a picture at your studio. No. Please. No. Please. No. Please. No. Because you're no beautiful doll. I'm only kidding. We know it's Georgie. What do you think? Yeah, uh, what did you think? You all like it, Mr. Gresson? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get these bookies out of here. <laughs> what about me? My face is in the balance. Am I still a producer or what am I? Georgie. Yes, boss. Here's two dollars. Put it on citation to win. Thank Good you. night, Georgie. Thanks for everything. Good night, everybody. See you next week, This is Ben Alexander suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Friday evening, this same hour, for the Martin and Lewis Show. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Red Skelton, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.